Hello, everyone, and welcome to the ACTUS podcast, a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news relevant to the CDI profession and ACTUS. I'm Linnea Archibald, the Associate Editorial Director for ACTUS, and I'll be your host for today's show, which is a bonus episode brought to you in partnership with AMN Healthcare. Government oversight and auditing with regards to documentation and coding is not new, nor is it going away. Retrospective audits and fines can't be prospectively budgeted for and can be crippling to many organizations. This is an area that should be an organized focus in CDI and coding departments to proactively safeguard revenue threats. Today's show will be focused on the recent OIG audit of UPMC Health Plan Inc. Today's guest is Kelly Gates. Director of Clinical Advisory Solutions at AMN Healthcare. A nurse by background, Kelly has spent most of her 30-year career as a consulting leader focused within the healthcare revenue cycle. Her experience includes case management, CDI, computer-assisted coding, and hospital denials. Her special interests are in strategic planning using data and technology for healthcare reform. Kelly holds a bachelor's degree in nursing and a master's degree in health administration from Virginia Commonwealth University. Thanks so much for joining us today, Kelly. I'm really excited to sit down for this special episode of the podcast. To start off our conversation, can you give us some more background around the OIG report and its importance for CDI programs? Yeah, um, so a little bit of a historical context as to why I read OIG reports. And for those of you that are dialing in that may not know what that acronym is, it's the Office of Inspector General. Give a little bit of preface about that. You know, as a nurse who has, you know, practiced in the healthcare setting, I, I like the OIG reports and, and their reads, and I kind of, I kind of, make a similarity, if you will, as to a good book and, you know, what can you glean from that and what do you get excited about that you want to share with others? And so I tie that in, you know, historically, I'm a nurse. And I think with those experiences, you know, it's the special tie to healthcare and the complexities around it that really make um, someone passionate about healthcare delivery and almost protective. And I think that it's just that background within my personality, which makes me protective of the healthcare industry. So why do I go and I read um, OIG reports? Well, because I do feel like, you know, sometimes, you know, the office of inspector general, you know, that's it's so purpose in the industry is to, you know, perform audits to ensure that there's not waste or abuse in the healthcare setting. And I don't feel like the healthcare setting is an area in which companies go, oh, I think I'll get into healthcare because it's very profitable. Or, you know, you have that, that compassion and the, the goodwill. And so again, you know, being protective and, and kind of living back in, in the nursing field and, and the importance of documentation, you know, I understand what problems providers are faced with. You know, back then, back in the day before you had the advent of technology, um, you still had the same dynamics. You still had 12-hour shifts. You still had a lot of fi- fires to put out. You might have had a 100% turnover in your patients that you were assigned to for the day. You know, when you're 
operating in that environment, it's hard to remember to document every single thing because you don't have the luxury often of being able to sit down and have a lunch or even to collect your thoughts. You're either transporting a patient out, you're, you're stabilizing them. That's the nature of healthcare. And so, you know, with regards to documentation, there's never an intent to adjust it or forget about documenting. That's just not there. It's just the nature of healthcare and the prioritization of what we have to do in our daily jobs. So given that, you know, you hear a lot of the podcasts and the white papers and they're talking about, you know, should we expand our CDI focus into, you know, inpatient, outpatient, payer types? And I think regardless of this setting, again, you have at the heart is the integrity of the documentation. So I say all of this to kind of bring a point. The OIG, um, again, the purpose is to identify and kind of protect Medicare money. Um, they're very transparent about what they look at and they will you know, put out on their website the items that they are going to have on their work plan. And so when I go to the OIG website, I am interested in what are things that are occurring in industries that may not be a singular focus for CDI programs, but there are so many lessons that can be gleaned from these publications. So I think this particular report was of um, specific interest. It really tugged at me because with the facility that was named in this report, the audit on this facility, um, and these are publicly, you know, they're out there for public consumption. You can read all of the reports, the findings, the focus. But with this specific facility, and I have to throw out the caveat, I have not worked for this facility, but I have worked with this facility. And they have a very stellar shop. And I think what surprised me is sometimes you think of the OIG and, oh, they're only focused on shady operations. This is not the case with this report. This facility is a large IDN. They're very progressive. They have CDI programs in place in the inpatient and the outpatient setting. They um, have a lot of well thought out policy and procedures. Their physician advisors for the CDI program are engaged and they're interactive. So this was a really stellar hospital system. And, you know, the reason I mentioned this is because I was like, wow, you know, again, you think the OIG is only focused on shady operations, not the case here. And so knowing all of this about the facility, I was really specifically interested in what their findings were. Again, because they do have CDI programs in place, my thought was, well, I bet you they didn't find anything. So, you know, I preface this as I think that there were a lot of lessons that I took away from this. And I think, you know, I'm going to probably state some opinions and, you know, opinions are just that. You can disagree, you can agree, but I really feel there were some compelling points and some lessons learned that I took away that the CDI industry could definitely embrace and weave into a CDI program. And that's regardless if it's inpatient or outpatient. It all has to go back to the integrity of the medical record documentation. 
That's awesome. I, I have never heard someone describe an OIG report as a good book, so I'm going to take that away. I love that so much. Um, I know you mentioned that there were some specific lessons learned that you could take away from this report. Can you share some examples that you found most impactful? Yes. Um, okay. So not going into all of the details, but just kind of pulling out the most important, I think, shockers for me. First of all, and I'm going to say this, and I know people are probably snicker when I say it, but I didn't, I, I don't think these kind of audits are fair. And so I always kind of approach it crossing my arms going, well, that's not fair. You know, we work very hard for what we do and we have a very good intention. So in this day and age, you know, with the pandemic and and a lot of hospitals um, are laying off and and closing emergency room departments. I think anytime you have a threat to revenue, but it's a threat to revenue that happened five or six years ago. So in this specific example, they audited records from 2015 to 2016. We're, we're operating in a pandemic environment here. And so you have this retrospective review of 280 records. And the results are, um, and I'll go into a little bit more of this in just a, a, you know, a couple of minutes, but the results were, their findings um, resulted in a $6.4 million payback request. And when you're operating in the environment again, like we are today, you can't prospectively budget for a, or anticipate that you are going to be asked to return $6.4 million for a one year audit. Um, so I think, you know, that's one, but when you go and you look at this report and the things that they were finding, so, you know, they will post the OIG will post a focus. This is our work list for the year. These are the diagnoses that we're going to really search and, and make sure that they are well supported. And why? Because we have a data machine or a statistician behind the scenes that is they're running numbers and, and they're saying that these are high risk diagnoses. So from a CDI standpoint, I think you want to know what they're looking at so that you can ensure your documentation is supporting those high risk diagnoses. So with this specific report, I think it's compelling because, and I'm gonna throw in there, now this specific report was on Medicare Advantage and we'll talk a little bit more about how you can extrapolate the findings into, you know, hey, my hospital doesn't have a large Medicare Advantage population. Therefore, this really doesn't impact me. And so I'm going to counter that with a couple of the findings. But I will say, of these 280 records, they took documentation sources from claims, um, put it into their engine. They pulled from inpatient, outpatient, physician records, claims data, things like that. And they looked at specific areas and most of the areas they pulled 30 charts. So for instance, they looked at acute strokes, they pulled 30 charts. And what they found for acute strokes was there was an incongruency in the claims. So an acute stroke diagnosis in a specific example in the study was on a physician claim, 
but it was never on the hospital claim. So they kicked it out. Um, there, were, there were a lot of findings with regards to a past medical history of an acute stroke, um, and therefore it wasn't an HCC, so they kicked the record out. And there were instances or references to, yes, we agree there is a diagnosis of hemoplegia, but it's residual, therefore not an acute stroke. Threw it out. So of the 30 records that they looked at, they found $39,000 where that was inaccurately reported of an acute stroke. The next was major depressive di um, diagnoses or disorders. And I think what was interesting here is that if there was not a medication listed that the patient was taken, and again, they pull from, you know, prescription drug claims data. So they have that ability to kind of singular focus and, and put together that kind of methodology. But then they would take the record and they would go, okay, you have a diagnosis listed of major depressive disorder, but you don't have the corresponding medication. Therefore, we're kicking it out. Um, that was uh, out of the 30 records that they looked at. That was... Um, you know, a $13,000. So not, not huge findings here. So I, you may ask, okay, okay, where does this come out to 6.4 million? And I want to keep saying that because it's surprising. And I think that's one of the uh, talking points around why this should be a priority for Actus um, or CDI programs. Another area was embolism. Again, there was lack of medications, you know, no anticoagulants. One of the cases, and they do have details around, is I think this supports the outpatient versus the inpatient look and the way that they report their ICD-10 codes. But, you know, a lot of times when you're in a different setting, you're working up a diagnosis. So the diagnosis was leg pain. So they're going to send them out for an ultrasound or or maybe uh, pull a D-dimer, and then you get the diagnosis of a, of a DVT. Well, that didn't occur. So what you had was a claim with the diagnosis of leg pain, but no further documentation to support that they actually found a DVT. So those are areas that I think should definitely be um, under review. And I wanted to allude to the largest impact, which again was a very compelling and for me an eye-opener, they looked specifically at colon, lung, and breast cancer, and there were incongruencies. So what they said is if they did a look back, if there's no surgery, there's no chemo, there isn't any radiation, if you had the, the term lung mass without that cancer diagnosis, they threw it out. And out of the cancer diagnoses, just that historical context, they came back and they found 277,000. So you see there's a difference, same number of records, a um, little bit larger of a focus. So, you know, the colon, lung, breast cancers, there were 30 in each. So there were 90, you know, medical records. So you have a bigger hit. This is one, I think, which really blew me away, and I wasn't even aware that it was on their radar, and it was miskeyed diagnoses. It's interesting because they have a data model that 
pulls together over 290 scenarios um, of where, hey, these are very popular MISC-key diagnoses, and they go after those. And so, the, again, they pulled just 30 records now of MISC-key diagnoses, and they found $223,000 worth of take-back money. And so, you know, of course, I'm not familiar with Miss Kate. I was like, what is this? I want to know. And I think it was more of a problem back in the pre-I-10 days. So these were Miss Kate diagnoses. For example, um, if you put in 205 as an ICD-9 code, it would go to AML, acute myeloid leukemia. But what they were finding is that commonly the numbers were transposed, so it should have been ICD-9-250, which goes into a diabetes. So those were the kind of things that they had a pulse on and they pulled in the audit. So there are a lot of different specific examples and I think there are definitely lessons to be learned in what their findings were and the reason that they um, threw the, the charts out and said, you know, documentation was not there to support it. That's great and a, a great segue to, to my next question. Um you mentioned that there are lots of takeaways. So what, in your opinion, are the key takeaways from this report and why do you think they're important? Great topic here. And again, you know, I'm very passionate. And, and again, that goes back to the whole protective nature that I feel, you know, healthcare industry is there for a good cause. You know, um, it's not a money-making and yes, you do have deviance out there. And I think that's why the OIG is needed. But again, this is a very, and in most of the facilities, they don't have that ulterior motive. They're not conscientiously trying to upcode. And so I think the takeaway is just make sure that you can almost put yourself in the seat of an auditor and really look at a medical record like is the support there to report this diagnosis i think you know when i read the specific accounts and their explanation as to why they took something away there are valuable lessons and when you look at a chart you need to have that knowledge and know okay if i am a auditor you know with this intent is there enough in here or should it go into another category? And it doesn't have to be an HCC code. It could be any kind. It's the medical record documentation integrity. So it's all in whatever setting you are, inpatient, outpatient, whatever code you're applying. It's always at the heart of it, the documentation to support reporting. So, you know, when you look at this report and you kind of in your mind put together, okay, here are the lessons I'm taking away. Well, OIG found a lot with regards to, yes, this person had a history of cancer, but it doesn't belong in this in this bucket. There's not enough documentation to support that it's anything other than a history. And, you know, knowing the dynamics, let's say on the inpatient side, where a lot of times you have a long mass, but you haven't gotten the path report back. So it does, you know, un unfortunately, it does go under a lung mass. So, you know, knowing those concepts and being able to follow up on them or pull in the documentation. In this case, the OIG looked at outpatient claims. They looked at physician records. 
I don't think it's unreasonable that we do the same. I think the other thing that is important here is, yes, the OIG report focused in on Medicare Advantage. That may be a small subset of the population within an organization, but the concepts are still there. If they are looking at risk adjustment, risk adjustment is used in so many other facets. You have population health, you have value-based purchasing, there's a lot of um, quality initiatives and you that capture of risk adjustment is can impact those expected versus observed ratios in this specific report they were focused on medicare advantage don't get lost in that it's all about risk adjustment and the documentation to support those codes so i don't want folks to say oh that's just in the outpatient cdi setting it's an application that can be used across the settings. I think um, when you look at this report too, another takeaway is this facility had very good policy and procedures in place. They already had a second level review um, process in place. So they knew um, very adeptly that these were on our high risk diagnoses and they had a work plan to say, we're gonna ensure that they're well supported. So the OIG came back in this case and they said, well, your policies weren't, you know, they weren't effective. And yes, and I think that's another thing that I took away when I read it. I read the policy and procedures that were in the report and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you know, if you start out this journey, you don't know what you don't know. You're putting the best thing that you have into place at that time. It's very hard to come back and say, oh, I'm going to teleport five years into the future and I think the OIG is going to poke holes in this policy and procedure. That's very difficult. And again, you know, I go back to how I prefaced this. It's not fair. Um, and that's, you know, again, where I get passionately protective of the hospitals and the organizations that are having to deal with this. I think, you know, the other thing is that, you know, if you are going to have a second level of review for a CDI program, and in this instance, it's hard to quantify why you need an FTE position, you know, FTEs, the, the people component, they're expensive. And a lot of times you're doing defensive auditing. So you might be taking away um, something that would be reported as a negative consequence on your key performance indicator report, right? But it is just that it's, you have to defend and you also don't want to end up on, you know, an OIG work plan. So I think, you know, there's that proponent and being able to, you know, validate why you need a person, you know, what is the negative consequence of not doing so. And in this case, it was a 6.4 million smack on the hand. I think finally, you know, when you're looking, and again, it's a very compelling report. It is a very good read and um, it ranks up there with my highly recommended nonfiction uh, books. But um, I think when you looked at the report, this facility did a very good job of doing their homework. And what they did is they looked at other OIG report findings from other facilities. And they said, you know, they were onto something. 
And my recommendation is if you're ever in this boat, I would do the same because they were able to counter back and say, well, in this former OIG finding, you did not account for, and this, this was very clever, um, during that calendar year, there was a 2% reduction in all of our payments. And so you're saying we owe this amount of money, but did you really account for that piece of it? And they got that argument from looking at another facility's OIG response. So I felt like that was very clever. And my recommendation is if you're ever in that boat, certainly look at the, uh, the findings and, and the rulings for other facilities that may have already fought that battle in a prior year. That's great advice. So with this organization already having such a strong system in place, what would you identify as being the biggest challenges in implementing some of the recommended actions for CDI programs? Well, I think I spoke to one before, you know, that is just, you know, asking for additional FTEs to perform that second level review and possibly, you know, being it's counterintuitive that you're taking something away. But again, it is, you know, the documentation to support the code or the, you know, billing um, claim that you have in there. I think one of the problems that you hear about now is the advent of technology. So yes, you do have technology and data mining. And, you know, we talked about those miskeyed scenarios. That's something that's at the OIG's disposal, but that advanced technology isn't necessarily available to hospitals. And so that is a challenge. Um, you know, as I go out on the OIG website and, you know, again, even though I, I'm not an employee of that facility, I still very passionately feel, again, this isn't fair. I'll go out there and I'll look, okay, how can we, with limited resources, you know, the OIG has at their disposal prescription claims um, software. They have all of these databases that can pull this information. So I, I looked out there and, you know, there's, free statistical software um, that the OIG offers. It's called RATSTATS. Um, I guess I'm going to add there, no pun intended. But, you know, the takeaway is they have tools that are available free. They have a, a work plan that they advertise and they have the intent there. And I think you can take that information and you can formulate a plan take advantage of the free, you know, statistical software. That's what they used when they're pulling the records that they want to look or they want to request to audit. That's the application that they use. And so there is a level of transparency. I don't know if that should bring peace to me, you know, but um, I think, again, making certain that you do incorporate kind of what is going on in the OIG and, and, and stressing the importance too. It doesn't necessarily matter which outpatient, inpatient providers, you know, services, which area your CDI is program is focused on. It's again, 
what concepts can be applied to any setting. Absolutely. And I think that's a that's a great spot to end. Thank you so much for sitting down with me today, Kelly. This has been such a helpful conversation. Unfortunately, we have run out of time for our discussion today. As always, if our audience has any questions about this topic, you can feel free to email the Actus team at Actus dash inquiries at simplifycompliance.com. I will also put that address in today's show notes on the Actus website and in your podcast app so that you can grab it from there along with the link, of course, to the OIG report that Kelly was referencing today. That brings us to the end of today's bonus Actus podcast episode. Special thanks to AMN Healthcare for sponsoring today's episode and, of course, to Kelly for being such a wonderful guest today. We'll be back in one week for our regularly scheduled show on Wednesday, October 26th. That show will be focused on the updated Actus AHIMA guidelines for achieving a compliant query practice brief, which was released for public comment on October 10th. Actus Interim Director Lori Prescott, RN, MSN, CCDS, CCDSO, CDIP, CRC, and Tammy Combs, RN, MSN, CCS, CCDS, CDIP, CNE, AHIMA Practice Director at CDI and Clinical Foundations will join Director of Programming Rebecca Hendren for that episode. The October 26th show will be part of our Talking CDI series. You can listen to the show anytime on the Actus website or via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. All the links we discussed during today's episode will be available in the show notes. And as always, we'd appreciate if you would take a minute to leave us a five-star review on your podcast app to help others find our show. Our intro and outro music is Media Noche by Dion Key, and our ad music is Take Me Higher by Jazzar, both obtained from the Free Music Archive. If you have suggestions for future guests or topics, please email us at actus-inquiries at simplifycompliance.com. Until next time, take care, everyone.